0: Grandstand,
1: ABC, ABC's grandstand. On radio, online and on digital radio.
0: Gives himself room and swings across the line. Didn't time it all that well out to Cow Corner. This is Cow Corner, ABC Grandstand's Cricket Show. On the show today, we find out about Australia's Ashes hero from last summer, Mitch Johnson who no that'll be a major key in a busy summer of cricket for Australia this summer. We look at the future and meet one of Australia's under-19 representatives for next month's tour of Sri Lanka, and it's one match all in Australia's Tri-Nation One Day Series with South Africa and Zimbabwe. I'm Dan Lonigan, and my co-host every week is Pete Newlands. Welcome, Pete. Plenty happening again in the world of cricket.
2: G'day, Dan. Yeah, the Aussies are on the road again in Harare. Not a bad little tournament, this one. It's uh, produced all sorts of uh, interesting things, including a ball going through the commentator's window, (laughs) Uh, courtesy of a nice straight blow from uh, Mitchell Johnson. And I think more interesting than that, uh, Australia uh, and South Africa in a high-scoring game. Australia was run down with 21 balls to spare after setting South Africa 327, a, f- a century to Aaron Finch. But uh, in this day and age, Dan, you're, not, you're just not safe with a score of anything, even in the low 300s in one day in the National.
0: I'm not sure, too, how I feel about mm. that. I mean, it's a little bit like uh, AFL football. If you have a team kick 20 and the opposition kicks 22, you think, how exciting is that? But the coach's attitude is, well, we've got to try and stop them from scoring. Uh, how would the coaches feel about uh, one team making 327 and the other team easily overhauling that 328? If South Africa had a bat at first. I mean, they got to 328, as you say, inside 47 overs. They would have easily got past 350. So it is a little bit of a concern. But having said that, it is quite entertaining. And I suppose with some concerns about the long-term future of one-day cricket, it's been around a long, long time. Of course, the World Cup is in Australia and New Zealand this upcoming Australian summer. Uh, I suppose the high scoring uh, does make it a bit more attractive, doesn't it?
2: Or you could look at it this way. Is a close game a good game? Is 350 playing 349 a good game? in the way that one, 150 playing 149 is a good game. I'm inclined to think that's the case, but there's got to be a room for the bowler and there has to be a place for bowlers to be able to do, uh, do their work and the surfaces need to be you know, reasonably fair and, and give a little bit to both. Now, it's never been historically that easy to get the perfect balance in one day cricket, but perhaps scores inching towards 350 an over tell us that the balance overall between the, the wickets, the bats being used, maybe the size of the boundaries, isn't quite right at the moment. But uh, maybe that's what the punters out there want,
0: as you say. There seems to be some improvement too from Imran to hear, Pete. I remember yeah. the last time he played Australia in Australia, a test match in Adelaide. Uh, he got absolutely carted everywhere. Two for 45 from 10 when you consider that overall there's been 655 runs made and just 10 wickets fell. He was actually probably the most impressive bowler from both teams. The Australians are all very expensive. Johnson, none for 63. Stark, two for 62. Kane Richardson, one for 68. Mitch Marsh, none for 36. But some good signs with the bat. Finch, very good white ball cricketer. The issue is the red ball, 102, as you say, Peter. Philip Hughes, an opportunity, 51, he took it. Bailey got 66. But one of the greatest players that's ever played the game, and I think we'll be able to say that when he does retire AB de Villiers, 136 of 106 deliveries, unbeaten, outstanding.
2: Nathan Lyon was rested for the South Africa game uh, in four. In fact, Phil Hughes, so Steve Smith and Glenn Maxwell did the slow bowling. That didn't work. They conceded, what, 40 runs off the five overs they bowled between them. So whether Australia looks at bringing Hughes, rather it brings Lyon back in next time we in this series, which will be on the weekend against against Zimbabwe on Friday, in fact. So that's uh, one to keep an eye out for. But overall, uh, it looks like a good little tournament with a final, not this weekend, but the weekend after next in Harare. It'll be between Australia and South Africa. Um, Faf du his first ever one-day international century in his 51st game. And like he did in Test cricket, he made it against Australia. So they're a good, hard, competitive team. I agree Later. with you about Davila. He's a great player. But, uh, oh, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing when Australia... Uh, the next time Australia plays South Africa in this tournament ahead of the final.
0: And uh, plenty of one-day cricket over in England. We know that uh, India were terrible in the Test matches. And they are very poor away from home in Test cricket. Pretty good one-day side, though, and uh, they've won a match, thanks to the Duckworth Lewis system, by 133 runs in the second of the one days. This one was played at Cardiff. And a pretty solid performance. Again, Coley missed out with a duck. I dare say... Pete, he can't wait to get out of England. He just has not been able to make no. a run in test cricket or one-day cricket. And going into that particular series, he was seen as one of the best batsmen in the world. Rayner got 100, very good one-day player, as we know. Sharma got 52. And with the ball, Jadeja, he's a good one-day player as well. Took four for 28 as England were bowled out for 161. A disappointing effort from England who do struggle in one-day cricket.
2: Yeah, and they play next on Saturday at, uh, at Nottingham. So that's a to look forward to. I just wonder about this, uh, this situation with England and India, in India. I wonder if England is a test team uh, that prefers playing test cricket and India is a, a one-day team that prefers playing limited overs cricket. Because in, uh, when they play test cricket, one team's dominant and they switch into the 50-over format and it's the other way around. So maybe they've just got different priorities. And I think it's fair to say that over the last, let's say, decade or so, England probably have put more of an emphasis on their test cricket uh, than their limited overs cricket. And maybe it's been the other way around for, uh, for India.
0: Well, we'll see how India goes, of course, in the World Cup. They'll be one of the favourites, so there'll be plenty of pressure on them. But, of course, they've got their Test Series here before that, and we're not expecting great things, Pete, on what they've produced in Test Series outside India for a long, long time now. Up next on the program, talking of Test Cricket and how good was he in the last Australian summer. Looking forward to seeing how he goes in this Test Series against Pakistan shortly. And then, of course, that Test Series against India in Australia One of the greats of Australian cricket at the moment, Mitch Johnson, is on the program. This is Cow Corner, ABC Grandstands Cricket Show.
2: This is Cow Corner on ABC Grandstand Digital, on iTunes and on Radio Australia across the Pacific with Peter Newlands and Dan Lodigan. Well, he was the Terminator, the man in the black hat, the gunslinger. He was Mitchell Johnson in the 2013-14 season. In a season when all the moving parts of the Australian team combined for maximum efficiency and ruthless effect, Johnson was the spearhead, terrorising and destabilising England with accurate and very fast bowling. And later in the summer, bringing South Africa undone with similar effect. Mitchell Johnson spoke with Jim Maxwell before leaving for the one-day series in Zimbabwe and reflected on a season to remember and to another one coming up.
3: Yeah, it wasn't a bad run last year. I really enjoyed my cricket last year. It was, it was good fun and uh, to be out there with the boys and to enjoy it with them uh to to win an ashes series and then to go over to south africa and, and you know win that series as well was was a really exciting summer for us so yeah i've been able to Get some time at home and and refresh myself, and you know get my my strength work in and, and fitness, which I'm really keen on. Uh, as I know that we've got a fair bit coming up in the next uh, eighteen months or so.
4: I mean, if you're a movie star, you'd be Top Gun, you'd be Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> or something like that. Do you uh, <laughs> you enjoy being the intimidator? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've I enjoyed that role during the summer
3: definitely, and uh, it's something we we spoke about with Michael and Darren at the start of the summer and as a bowling group what our roles were so I think that was the really important thing we sat down and 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 discussed it so you know we all 100 percent uh knew our roles before the summer started Mm. and knew what we were going to do and stuck to those plans so I think that was the really exciting thing was um was that we stuck to it no matter what um you know we went after their their tail and we stuck through it the whole series, Uh, did it to South Africa a bit as well. Um, But yeah, to to be the intimidator, yeah, I don't mind taking that role on as long as I keep working on my batting um, because I know I'm going to cop it back so um, I've got to make sure that I keep sharp.
4: One of the many great deliveries you bowled and certainly this was the most intimidating one I think I can recall was the one that struck, uh, struck Hashim Amlar in the helmet. I don't think he saw it coming. In that first test at Centurion. What do you recall of that?
3: Um, that actually wasn't my favourite ball, but uh, <laughs> the Faf Plessis ball was probably my favourite. Uh, just sort of squared him up um, at good pace, but that ball to Hashim, he, he took it pretty well and he kept playing his game after that. So that's, that's the thing about Hash is, is he doesn't let those things affect him and that's why he's such a great batsman. So... A few of the boys were sort of com- had commented on it that he, you know, how well he took it. Uh, he mm-hmm. didn't flinch, but the replays, when you see it, it's, um, it, it pushed his helmet right back uh, mm-hmm. onto his face. So he was quite lucky that there was no damage or anything like that. But you know, normally those things can can scar you a little bit. Um, but yeah, he just continued to play his way, and he probably wasn't at his best um, against us, but he could still see that um, you know it, it probably didn't affect him as much as I would have liked.
4: Just back on that England series, I mean, David Warner had the throwaway line there about, you know, uh, Trot, you could see fear in his eyes. And there was a general uh, a mood, I suppose, around the, the cricket we were watching that England may have been in a little bit of fear of your bowling. At what point did you sense that with their batting and, and how much of that was a the, the huge factor as it turned out in the series victory?
3: Yeah, we know Davey likes to to come out and say say things like that and stir the pot a bit. Um Yeah, I guess like I said we we wanted to go after their their tail and and bombard them with with short balls and and that's what we did throughout the whole series. So I think we definitely felt that in that first test at the Gabba. I think we surprised them. Uh and we even did it to their their top end batters as well. Uh and Look, I don't think they liked it at all. It sort of shows it continued their with their form um, in the last uh, 12 months uh, or, or less. Um, they they have struggled with it, so it was definitely a a, a good plan to have. That um, that there, there, there were guys that didn't want to face it. Who who wants to face uh, a short wall coming at your face? Um, you know, I know I still don't like it. But you know that's just part of the game. Um, you know it's a tactic and it worked. And um, you know I think that was it was part of setting guys up as well. It was more to it. It was a bit more of a science to it than just bowling a short one at someone's head, trying to put fear into them. That's what you wanted. You wanted them to be a bit worried. But then it was about getting the ball up there and, and trying to get that nick or or get an lbw or a bold. So uh, there was there was a bit more behind it than just just trying to knock their blocks off.
4: And against Peterson, was that a, an ego battle too?
3: Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, you know, he's 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 got that big ego, and and that was something that we we spoke about. And we generally don't like to say anything to him, so um, it was more about yeah, bowling short at him and making him eventually go for it. And it was probably the setup we did with with him as well, hitting that one to to short mid wicket a few times. He got out. We we that was the plan. Just keep making him try and hit that shot. Um, so we just think, you know, the ego sort of gets in the way with him sometimes and, and that was, you know, it came off for us that, that trip.
4: So what have you brought to your armory in the last 12 months? You've always had pace. There's something else there. I mean, is it just control? What What is it that allows you to do what you do so successfully now?
3: Uh, I think there's definitely control there. I think I've got more consistency, definitely, but also with my pace. I've been able to keep my pace up uh, and it's because shorter spells, I think, definitely. And I've got that license to to bowl the way that works for me, which I've really enjoyed. So I'm not a I'm not a line and length bowler all day. Uh, I'm someone who, like you said, has that intimidation um, with the pace and bounce that I can get. So you've got to use your strengths, um, and I've felt like I did
4: that through the summer. And, and technically, you've been in a better position. You're up higher wrist in better position, all this sort of stuff. Are, are these uh, defining aspects of your bowling that that contribute to it through, say, Dennis Lilly's uh, mentoring?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm still a slingy bowler. I'm mm. never going to be a, a Glenn McGrath, tall bowler that um, gets right over the ball, um, you know, right behind the ball, but you know, I think that's that's my advantage though is having that sling. You know, I do come behind my back a little bit, so the ball does disappear. So it makes it harder for the batsman to really see the ball. So, yeah, technically, I think I've just been able to um, refine a few things and, and make sure I do it before every game. Now I do all my technical stuff, and then I can go out there and play the game. So I'm not worried about technical things when I'm playing, which is what I used to do. So run-up was one of the things that that I've definitely improved, um, you know, I lengthened it back to what it was originally when I first started, so I'm able to get through the, get that good rhythm in my run-up and get through the crease and, um, yeah, really, really sort of charge in a bit more instead of just sort of floating in, so uh, Dennis Lilly has been a big part of that, um, I mean, there's, there's been other guys, uh, Adam Griffith as well at, at uh, the Whacker, um has been a big part of that as well, so, um, just trying to keep things as simple as possible, and just go out there and enjoy myself. Go out there, bowl fast, and stick to the plan.
4: And that's the thing—you are enjoying it a lot more than you were a few years ago. So this is going to sustain you for a while, isn't
3: it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was away from the game for, well, internationally for probably twelve months. Mm. So I feel like I've got a fair bit to give still. So yeah, this this next period that we've got coming up, I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing some cricket. You know, I feel like I've missed out a bit. Um, but now that I'm in the side, I know I've got to keep working hard to to keep this keep my i well, keep the spot in the team. Um, you know, there's plenty of fast bowlers in the country that are uh, that are pushing for for selection, and um, you know, for me, I've just got to go out there and enjoy myself. If it, if there's the day where it's I'm not at my best, you know, then so be it. I, I've always got to make sure I'm giving 100% and be happy with that.
4: Even at at this point of uh, the season, a lot of people are saying, well, at the end of all of this, of course, Australia's playing the Ashes. Does that loom in your mind as something to to look forward to and to have some sort of uh, redemption for what's happened in the past?
3: Yeah, it's definitely in everyone's mind. Um, I want to be there for for the next Ashes series. I want to get over there and I want to perform well, um, give it my best shot, um, because I feel yeah, maybe I've got something to to prove over there, but uh, I'm not going to put any added pressure on myself. I'm just going to go out and join myself, play each game, try and do the best that I can and and see what happens. Um, Like I said, I'm just trying to keep it as simple as possible. So, you know, it it really is a long way away. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Form could deteriorate in that time, uh, could get injured, uh, anything could happen. But I'm just going to make sure I I give it everything that I can and make sure that I've given myself every chance possible to, to be in that side.
4: Is it any more satisfying putting England through in a test series than any other country? Is, it, is that a factor that's motivating you?
3: Yeah, it's a great feeling to, to beat England um, in, a, in an Ashes series and it's definitely a, a great motivation to have. So after missing out the last Ashes series over there, which was quite you know, disappointing at the time, but it was something that motivated me to make sure I stuck to what... Uh, I was able to stick to what I was doing with my training, making sure I was preparing myself right uh, for when that chance did come. Uh, if there was an injury or, or someone wasn't performing, uh, I was making sure that I was doing all the work behind the scenes to make sure I was ready when, when that opportunity came. So I guess that's where I had that that belief and confidence uh, when I did come into uh, playing for my country again.
4: Is anger management an a, a important part of being a fast bowler too? We've seen Jimmy Anderson go off in recent times and, and if you go off at him in exchange, um, how do you manage that?
3: Yeah, I think you have to manage it and, and control uh, that anger, um, you know, it's called white line fever. They say you, you get over the line and as a fast bowler, you know, there can be some fiery moments out there and I think I've been able to control that a lot better uh, and I only feel like I'm only getting better. I think that's just because I have uh, more self-control um, because I believe in myself and believe in my ability, so I'm able to control what I'm doing out there more often. So I'm looking forward to the next little period to to see how it's all going. And um, you know, yeah, batsmen can get on your nerves a little bit, but if you show them, then they're ahead of you in the game, and you know, you've just got to go out there and, and bowl um, and leave the rest. Um, yeah, to if Davy Warner, he you know he's, a, he's probably a perfect example. He can say as much as he likes, but um. <laughs> He's not going to get belted around, so um, as a bowler, yeah, I think it's best
4: that you just bowl the ball and um,
3: leave the rest to the other guys.
4: Oh Well, if you're not Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're certainly a gunslinger at the moment, and I reckon the boys just love having you around. Thank you for your time. Yeah, cheers, thank you.
0: That's Mitch Johnson with Grandstands. Jim Maxwell can't wait, Pete, to see how he goes in this Australian summer. The key is to see if he can back it up. I mean, what a performance it was. It's something we will never forget. It'll be remembered as one of the greatest ever sporting performances, his efforts for Australia in last year's ashes. He was magnificent, Mitch Johnson. Let's hope he can keep up that good form again this summer. Uh, you know, he
2: got to 200 wickets in Test Cricket quicker than Jeff Thompson, another fated Australian fast bowler. Maybe the one thing that's uh, missing now from, from his reputation, perhaps, is the fact that he hasn't quite got it right in England and uh, maybe I think that'll be a motivating force for him to go to England in next year's Ashes series and do again what he did last summer here in Australia. And I'm sure that he'd love to silence those mockers and those critics that he had. There's nothing in cricket as transfixing and as attractive, I don't think, as a really fine fast bowler in his prime, and that's what Mitchell Johnson is. So let's enjoy him while he's still around and he's bowling at this pace. Anyway, Dan, next up we're going to hear from one of the the country's up-and-coming young players who's not necessarily on the making the headlines just yet, But uh, who knows, down the track, he might just do. This is Cow Corner.
0: This is Cow Corner, Dan Lonigan and Peter Newlands with you. Australian cricket is littered with many of our best young players being chosen to represent their country at lower levels, like the under-17s and under-19s, and then go on to higher honours. There's another batch hoping to emulate that feat have been chosen for next month's under-19 tour of Sri Lanka. Among the selections is a famous cricket name, Tom Healy, whose father Ian was one of Australia's greatest ever wicket keepers. Victoria has three representatives, including another wicket keeper with Tom Healy, Sam Harper. And Sam has been outstanding for Australia at under-17 level and uh, has also played some excellent cricket for the Melbourne Cricket Club. And he joins us on the program. Sam, welcome to Cow Corner. Great to have you with us. Firstly, congratulations on being chosen for the under-19 tour next month. It must be a real highlight for you.
1: Yeah, thanks Dan, thanks Peter. Um, yeah, it's obviously very exciting news to get a phone call to be able to go on a trip over to Sri Lanka and play for your country. So it was very exciting news.
2: Are you one of these kids that it's got the the golden touch? You can play sports at, at every level. Uh, are you torn towards any other game, or is cricket for you at this point in your life?
1: At this point in my life, cricket's the number one game. Yeah, when I was younger, I was always encouraged to play as many sports as I could, and loved my footy, um, but gave that away in year nine and. Yeah, I also enjoy playing golf and hockey, but cricket's definitely number one.
2: Now, Sam, you've just come back from a a tour of uh, Singapore with the Melbourne Cricket Club Uh, playing in a T20 tournament. Uh, What sort of an experience was that for you?
1: Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, So we went over to Singapore as the only Australian team, and we were lucky enough to verse some other um, international teams, such as the Sinhalese from Sri Lanka and Madras and the Cricket Club of India over there. Obviously, looking forward to Sri Lanka in the next few months, it was a great opportunity to get on the subcontinent conditions and, um, I guess, develop my game, wicket-keeping and learning how to bat against the thin bowlers over there. Yeah, and it was great learning. Um, obviously, playing against some really good first-class cricketers um, of the past. So, yeah, it was a great opportunity with Melbourne.
2: Sam, is is Melbourne your club? Is that where you've come through the, the junior ranks and maybe we'll play some, some first-grade and senior cricket?
1: Yeah, Melbourne's... Uh, yeah, my Premier Club. Uh, I was actually, my father dad actually coached there for four seasons, so I was always there at the Albert Cricket Ground at Albert Park watching as a young one and then went through the junior development squad with Doug Patrick and then, yeah, two seasons ago, decided to go and start playing my Premier Cricket there.
2: Now, Sam, you're named as the captain of the national under-17 team of the championships in January following a, a very successful uh, tournament where you averaged 85... Point eight with the bat and made two centuries. Do you have an eye on sort of more leadership roles as your career goes on?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. I enjoyed, I think that's what, one of the great things about playing cricket. Um, I love the team sports where you get to go out in the field with a bunch of your good mates and versus an opposition and being able to be the captain of a team, you can really lead a team in a direction you wanted to go. And, yeah, so going over to Adelaide with the big under-17s was a great opportunity um, to lead that team and yeah I'd obviously love to have as much leadership opportunity going forward as possible
0: I mentioned earlier a very famous name is the other wicketkeeper in the team and Tom Healy so he gets to keep, you or him?
1: Uh, Tommy's a very good keeper so probably him <laughs> at this stage I might need to fire a few people's thoughts that all keepers have a keeper's arm and show people wrong that a keepers can actually throw but <laughs> maybe first slips for me
2: Sam it's been great to talk to you well let's hope we hear a lot more of you and see a lot more of you as the years go by. And good luck with this great opportunity with the Australian under-19s in Sri Lanka. Thanks very much, Pete. Thanks very much, Dan. Sam Harper from the Melbourne Cricket Club, a name to watch out for, Dan. He's He's an impressive young guy to talk to.
0: Absolutely. Look, it's always fascinating to see how these young guys go and they get to be chosen for under-19 teams. And uh, hopefully Sam has a great career in front of him. He's shown plenty of promise so averaging, what, almost 90 in that Mm. under-17 tournament earlier in the year. So uh, he's got
2: a good future, I reckon. All right, Dan, as we head out today, reminding people that on Wednesday you can hear coverage of the first T20 international between Australia and Pakistan in the women's from the Gold Coast. And that'll be on Grandstand Digital Extra. And Dan, my stat of the week is from 1992. Just doing a bit of research before we came on air. In 1992, of course, Pakistan beat England in the World Cup final. That England team that played in that match Mm -hmm. at the MCG, every single player, all 11 players, had made a first class century.
0: Is that right? Yep. Even Illingworth, who was the spinner? That's the way it was.
2: That's what you call batting death.
0: Absolutely. Maybe
2: England need to try and recapture some of the magic of the early 90s. Had some good one-day teams in those days. That's all we've got time for today. We'll do Cow Corner again next week. Look forward to your company.